This is SLAS Technology Podcast, and I'm David Pector. We have the pleasure of Professor Dino DiCarlo of UCLA joining us to discuss his very interesting paper, Technologies for the Directed Evolution of Cell Therapies. Professor DiCarlo is a professor of bioengineering and mechanical and aerospace engineering at UCLA. I'd also like to mention that he is a scientific advisor to our journal, SLAS Technology. Welcome to SLAS Technology Podcast. Thanks, David. It's a pleasure to be here. And just to start, can you tell us about this review paper and why you created it? Yeah, so so actually the, the review paper started as a research proposal that I had submitted to the National Institutes of Health. Uh, and, and it started in 2016 on basically a, a way to evolve cells to make better therapeutics and uh, particularly focused on evolving immune cells to be better at killing tumor cells. So I submitted this grant a few times and it was not funded, maybe a little bit too out there, too risky for some of the appetite of NIH. But I thought it was an idea that was worth kind of sharing and something that others might want to to know about. And so I wrote a a review paper, um, but I, I guess it's more of a perspective on how we can use automation technologies to improve our ability to evolve cells that have, you know, these unique traits. Yeah, and it's very interesting. I think it reads a little differently than a regular review paper, I would say. And it's very interesting and very readable, so I recommend it to people. But uh, anyway, that's my my little comment there. Uh, So these technologies will need to be part of a clinical workflow, right, as I understand it, on a patient's own cells. Is that right? Maybe you could tell us a little bit about how that eventual context informs this work. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that there are two ways that this type of technology can go. So one is is what you discuss, where uh, you actually take a patient's own cells. You go through a process where you evolve and select a population of their cells that's going to be best at the job. Let's say it's the job is killing a tumor or the job might be secreting a particular enzyme. And so in, in that case, there are some challenges with using processes of mutagenesis and selection, right? Because that's also the process in which tumors arise in the first place. But one thing that's quite interesting about cells is that they also um, inherit epigenetic marks and epigenetic changes across generations. So you know, if you, if you think about Darwinian evolution and, and Lamarckian, you know, this idea of Lamarckian evolution, where everything was basically based off of some genetic code for evolution of species versus something that could change during the life of that particular organism that then could be inherited. For cells, we actually see that their environment and effects on the DNA, these could be methylation marks or changes to histone, methylation or, or acetylation, et cetera. Those types of marks that occur during environmental exposure of those cells can be inherited to the next cell in the generation. So you can imagine a process where you're not mutagenizing or you're not changing the genome, which could you know give these risks of tumor genesis, but actually changing some epigenetic marks on the cells, what I refer to as epigenetic mutagenesis which then 
can provide a set of cells and a, a population that you can then select a subset that has very unique properties that are going to be beneficial in the therapy. So that's the one side. The other side is that uh, you could still do genetic mutations on, on a population of cells and identify now a number of cell populations that have unique traits that you might want to select for. And these unique traits might be things like, oh, they secrete uh, this particular cell killing protein like perforin, or uh, they secrete proteases that allow them to get into tumors at high levels, or they're very deformable so that they can squeeze through tissues. In that case, what you might do afterwards is then sequence those cells to identify what were genes that were unique and amongst all those mutants that have these great traits. And then you can go back and engineer new cells um, uh, for, okay. for therapy. I see. Interesting. Okay. So that's, that is a different right, And that would change how it fit into the workflow quite a bit, right? Because it wouldn't be necessary in the critical path for a specific patient. Well, no, or it could be. Is that right? Uh, no, I, I agree. You're, you're correct. It would. It, it could be that this is something that you do once or twice uh, to identify the genes that are, are governing kind of these complex traits in cells, which, which we don't know about right now. Then you can design a, a gene construct that you can insert into patient cells for a particular therapy. I see. And then you would have the advantage that you could perhaps validate that this change didn't affect the primary function of the cell, right? That it was an adjunct, that it didn't affect anything. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's a fair point. So any anytime you're doing a genetic modification, you don't want to change the base function of the cell. So, but in the process of doing the the, the directed evolution, uh, you could you could also make sure that that that's something that you're selecting for. So let's say it's a immune cell that's secreting particular cytokines. You can make sure that that's something that's still, you don't lose that function. So I think one key point for a lot of this is that the tools are what's really driving this. So there's a big need for high throughput automated processes for selecting cells based on these functions, right? So based on complex traits based on the ability to secrete particular proteins or cytokines or antibodies. That's where I think SLAS and a lot of the tools that folks are developing in this community can play a role. Okay, interesting. Now, you do discuss challenges in the, and we you know, talked about them a little bit here, uh, this directed cellular evolution. What do you see as the first opportunities for these kind of tools? Yeah, so I, I think um, there's definitely a lot of challenges. It's a, a new area where we're not actively selecting and evolving cells based on complex traits. I would say that there's been work on selecting cells, you know, that have a certain protein that they express on the surface, um, but not uh, a complex trait that we really don't understand how a cell defines that trait, like how deformable the cell is, how much force the cell applies what's the structure of the nucleus versus the cytoplasm in the cell. We don't understand how genes lead to those particular traits. So that's a, a challenge, but it's also an opportunity, right? So that, I think it, the first maybe opportunities is before even using these, these approaches in therapies is uh, using it to start to understand some of these functions. And so the idea there is that these are kind of holistic functions of the cells. But as I kind of discussed, if you start to have cells that have super properties of, of one type, then you can start to unravel, sequence those cells, look at epigenetic changes in those cells, 
and start to unravel what were the controlling factors that led to those trait changes. So that's probably one of the first opportunities before using it in the clinic. But I think that there are other um, kind of maybe more imminent opportunities with selecting out subpopulations, let's say for CAR T cell therapy, that are secreting cytokines that we know are lead to more effective therapy. So there are studies going on now where, where well, folks will screen out or analyze the cytokine profiles that the engineered, these engineered T cells are, are, are giving off and correlate that to the outcomes in patients. And they see that there are particular sets of cytokines that if this, these engineered T cells are secreting them, that that correlates with a more, um, you know, higher success rate in patients. So there might be okay. uh, some initial opportunities where you start your process where you're creating these cell populations to then engineer the chimeric antigen receptor into those cell populations. I see. Like I say, it's very interesting. This is it's really fascinating. And, I, and this isn't my area, but I just found the, it a very interesting paper. Um, this is your first podcast with us, but previously we've had at least two researchers from your lab join us. Each of those was related to a startup. Sounds like a very productive lab. And what do you think are the keys to that productivity that perhaps other researchers can emulate? Not to reveal the secrets of your sauce here, but you know, it's, it would be interesting to hear. Yeah, that's a thanks for the question, Amy, and, and thanks for the kudos there. But there's not really a secret sauce. It's just how we think about problems. Uh, and I think that many academics get caught up with the intermediate goals, which are, okay, well, I need to publish a paper, uh, and, and that paper will then allow me to apply for a new grant, and that new grant allows me to publish more papers, and then I can apply for more grants. So you get caught up in this kind of um, cycle, but you're not focused on, on what's the end goal of, of what you're doing. Or maybe you are, but that's secondary, and it's not the primary focus. So, you know, when, when, when I talk with my students about projects and uh, we start at the very early stage of coming up with a new project, we're thinking to the end uh, goal of, okay, is this a project that will lead to something that, uh, that the market wants, right? That, you know, so that's not maybe very normal in an academic setting, but that's something that we're thinking about. We're asking others, we're asking companies, we're asking colleagues. We're probing whether this is something that's going to solve unmet needs in the clinic or, or unmet needs for pharma or, or for other, other folks. And so that starts at the, that very early stage. And, and if we think that there's a good story there and, and there's, there's something worth pursuing, then that's when we really uh, ramp up the work on it. And, and you know, things like publishing papers, um, those are part of the process. And uh, we, we, we need to do that in order to show that what we're doing and uh, you know, get excitement about it. But that's kind of a secondary piece of the process. And, and the, our primary goal is often, okay, is this something that has commercial potential? And how do we demonstrate that commercial potential? And if publishing a paper is helpful for that, then that's great. If you know, we need to get grants in order to support that the development, then we'll, we'll apply for grants. But the primary goal is something that's sustainable and, and has you know, a market behind it that we think can help solve some, you know, useful problems. Very nice. Okay. And that is not surprising. Well, I want to so, thank you for joining us. It was a real pleasure to have you on SOS Technology Podcast. Thanks again, Dave.